0: Let's get into the good stuff, all right? Exodus chapter 33. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. We're gonna read the entire chapter, so if you tune me out after the first 200 words, at least they were the good ones. So let's do it. Exodus chapter 33. The other thing is, is it's always a challenge because I wanna make it interesting. The word of God is interesting. So let's, uh, let's hear it. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, if you for a single moment, I should go up among you. I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know that know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out, To the camp, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of his tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, "'See, you say to me, bring up this people, "'but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. "'Yet you have said, I know you by name.'" in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's truth. I pray, Lord God, that this would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray, Lord God, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, it would be a double-edged sword and it would divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. I pray, Lord God, that you would teach us your truth for your word is truth. You said sanctify us through your word because your word is truth. And Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And you have placed your word above your very name, Lord God, as it says in Psalms. So, Lord God, we pray that we would submit ourselves to your word and what you have to teach us today. Lord God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are open, Lord God. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You guys, have your notes, pull them out because we're gonna jump right in. Moses is commanded to go to the promised land without God, lest they be consumed. Now, here's the interesting thing. Understand this church, God poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, That's why Jesus says in Hebrews, I will never leave, and then you take your thumb and point it to your heart, you. God will never leave us nor forsake us because all of our sin was upon Christ and the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. But here in the Old Testament, you need to understand that the sin was so great, God is so holy, he has to deal with sin so his wrath is kindled and he's gonna destroy the children of Israel because think about what happened in Exodus 32. 3,000 people are killed, they're worshiping this golden calf, they're all dancing around having this drunken orgy and all of a sudden, there's this, 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 Moses coming down and there's this reckoning and then everybody kind of like, kind of repents. And now in the midst of this, then the Lord and Moses then have a conversation. And God tells Moses, hey, I'm gonna send you on ahead. I'm gonna fulfill my promise, but I'm not gonna go among among you. God is holy and he consumes unholiness. That's why Christ is so important for us because he took the wrath of God upon him so that God now never leaves us, okay? So understand this, Christian. It's important that you see this because there's times in my life that I feel alone and I feel exposed and I feel like that my identity was built in something that it shouldn't have been built in and then that's ripped out from under me and all of a sudden, and maybe I'm the only one, oh, Oh, wow. Maybe it's a marriage that ended in divorce, and all of a sudden it was both of you, and now it's one of you. Maybe it's somebody that's here that, that your job, your entire identity was wrapped up in your job, and now longer you have that job, and now you're looking, now who am I? What am I supposed to do? Or a mom raising the kids, and the last kid has just gone off, and all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, who am I? And your identity is wrapped up in these things. When, it, when, when God is saying, Listen, when you wrap up your identity in Christ, now all of a sudden it doesn't matter what happens because He's sustainable, He's unchangeable, He's the one that's the firm foundation. And the world might change, the job might change, relationships might change, but Christ remains. Isn't that good? And so Moses is saying to God, God, wait a second, you're not going to go with us. You don't understand. You are our identity. Look at verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, if you don't go with us? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? Remember, we're the God's chosen people. We're the people of God that you led out of Egypt. That's our identity. Remember the, the cloud, God? By day and the pillar of fire by night? We're our, our entire identity is You. Is it not you're going with us? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Christian, that's true today. Let me encourage you, your identity ought to be in Christ. And you are different from every other person on the face of the earth, Christian. Because Christ is not only your God, but he is your identity. It is not based upon what you feel. It is not based upon what society says you are. It's not based upon any of those things. It needs to be based upon Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So introduction, God's holy, Christ. There's a problem though. God's not gonna go with them into the land. Why? Here's the problem. God knows what's in people's hearts. He knows that if he takes them into the land, he's gonna probably consume them. And it's interesting, he makes this little statement to Moses because he's gonna consume them. If you look at verse 19, he says, the Lord, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So basically what God's saying is, yeah, okay, there's gonna be a body count though, Moses. And in fact, you see at the beginning of this, that there's a distancing of himself because of their sin that God has from his people in this moment. Look what he's saying, I will will send them there. Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought. You hear the little interaction here? It's like when my kids get in trouble, my wife looks at me and goes, do you know what your kids did today? no, tell me what my kids did today. But when they're great, she's like, aren't my kids great? Woohoo!" She's like, no. Do you see the distancing, though, because of the sin? God's still going to fulfill his promise because God always keeps his promises. He doesn't lie but he recognizes and he knows that these are stiff-necked people. See, God knows what's in people's heart. Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Well, in verse 10, it says that I, the Lord, search the heart. I know what's in the heart. So when, when I'm watching TV shows with my kids and they're, and I say, follow your heart. I'm like, don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. Your heart's deceitful and wicked. Why? Because here's the thing we are sinful people. God called the people of Israel stiff necked. Stiff necked, the the, the term you see throughout scripture, but the word stiff necked means arrogant, stubborn, unwilling to submit. Basically, it's this your neck is so stiff that you're not going to bow. Stiff necked. Uh, I'm not bowing, I'm not bowing. I'm doing what I want. He says, I'm gonna consume you for you are a stiff-necked people. He knows that their actions, although they are doing the right thing, they're not being the right person. People were told to strip off their ornaments. So when they heard this, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. Now, it's interesting. The ornaments Remember how they made the golden calf in Exodus 32? Aaron said, give me all your earrings, your gold earrings, and they made the golden calf, okay? And they carved and fashioned this golden calf. So they still were wearing ornaments from Egypt, gold bracelets and maybe gold belt buckles. I don't know. I mean, they had all kinds of ornaments from Egypt. When they plundered the Egyptians, well, they would wear them every day, And what happened was when they realized that God wasn't gonna go with them, they didn't put on their old Egypt life. Basically what they were doing was every morning, they were putting on the fact of who they were, not who they were going to be conformed and made into. They still had one foot into the world of Egypt and one foot in there with God towards the promised land. And the ornaments represented that. Isn't that just like us as Christians? It's, yes, God, I want you to save me 99%, but as far as when it comes to my money, I'm still gonna have that. Um, when it still comes to this number of this ex-girlfriend, you know, even though I'm married, I'm still gonna have that, or this ex-boyfriend, or this, this, this little pet sin that I'm gonna have, I'm still gonna have that, even though, God, you have all of me except. There's still that little part And that's what the ornaments represented. And when they realized that God wasn't gonna go with them, they didn't put it on. And in fact, it was so impactful that it says that they didn't even put it on any longer. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. We're done. We're done with that old life. Church, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says, We lay aside every sin, weight, and sin that so easily sets us back. And we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What are the little things that you're still holding on to from your old sinful life? What are the little things that still you kind of gravitate towards where one foot's in the world and one foot's in God. It's time for us to strip off our ornaments, church, and leave them. See, because here, going forward, we're gonna see the tabernacle, and they do an offering, and all of a sudden, because they're not wearing their ornaments anymore, and they're not defined, and that wasn't their identity anymore, when they take the offering, you're gonna see this when they build the tabernacle, that they give generously, to build this tabernacle of all of their gold and all of their extras, because that wasn't their identity anymore. They weren't even wearing them anymore. Isn't that cool? We have to lay off our old weights and sin. Second, the presence. The problem is God knows what's in people's heart. Second, the presence. God met with Moses in a tent and people worshiped. Now, when you read Exodus 33, you get through one through six, there's a narrative. The the narrative picks up then in verse 12. Verses seven through 11 is kind of like a footnote. It kind of gives you kind of an understanding of what Moses did in the story. So the narrative picks up in verse 12. You see verses one through six, the ornaments, and then verse 12 is where the narrative picks up. But verses seven through 11 kind of gives you a understanding of the way that Moses and God were and how they interacted, okay? So it's not to confuse you. If you read this, you go, well, I don't understand. That's what this is. It's kind of a pause to explain and give you the backstory, it's like when you watch a movie and then they show the backstory and then like then you go to present day and you're like, oh, okay, I totally understand now, okay? This is the backstory of Moses' interaction with God in the tent of meeting. The presence, though, was, was that God met with Moses in a tent and the people worshiped. Now, this is significant because the people of Israel knew that God, that Moses was a godly man and they knew that the pillar of cloud was God and that Moses... And God would speak face to face. Now, did God have a face? No, God is a spirit and they that worship him worship him in spirit and truth. That's John 4. They're giving a human characteristic to God face to face. But it's this idea though that they had a godly leader and because of that, they understood that the presence of God was not something to be afraid of but something that they could have a relationship with just as Moses did. This is really, really significant because it caused the people to worship. Your pastor, Pastor Sean Brown is a godly man. And when he pulls down his blinds and I watch him studying the scripture or praying in his office, it motivates me and wants me to study more, wants me to worship more, wants me to be in greater relationship with God. That's what, what was happening with Moses. The people were like, whoa. And then they would go into their tents and they would worship God. So this is kind of a, hey, listen, this is what would happen. It's interesting, Joshua just would stay in the tent and not depart from the tent. Okay, and back to the story now. So that was the presence of God, not something to be afraid of, but something that you could have a relationship with. Okay, verse number three, the proposal. So Moses now, if you, if you got your notes, pull it out. It, it says the proposal is God will not, right? Not above it. That's, that's a typo on my part because I, 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 I viewed it and I messed up. God will not go with the people, okay? It says that God will go with the people. No, God will not go with the people. That's the proposal, God said to Moses. Now Moses all of a sudden now is gonna have an interaction for the people. Okay, so Moses wanted God to go with the people. This is the counter-proposal. Moses and, and how Moses do this, this is significant. If you're here today and you don't feel intimate with God or you don't feel connected with God, if you're saying, Hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't, how do you have intimacy with God? I I don't know how to do this. Right here, there's some incredible handles that the Word of God gives us on how we can have a more intimate relationship with God based upon what it says here. Here it is Moses wanted to know God's ways. Let me read this for you. I have known you by name. You have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Moses asked to know God's ways. Why is this significant? Everyone take your Bibles and turn with me over to Psalm 103. Turn over to Psalm 103. Huge. Psalm 103. It's right in the middle of the Bible. To the right of Exodus, Psalm 103. On my Bible, it's 1,217 page. That's because I use the big print, so I don't have to wear glasses. You probably can read it from here, right? Whoa! What? because I'm a fidgeter. If I had glasses, I'd be like fidgeting with them and everyone would be annoyed by it. I'm annoyed by it, so. All right, here we go. Psalm 103. That's totally free. If you're watching online, it's usually not like this. Psalm 103, seven. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now, this is so significant. Moses asked to know God's ways. He wanted to know God's character. He wanted to appeal and intercede for the people based upon God's character. In Psalm 103, it says, he made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the people of Israel. Understand this, the people of Israel only knew what God could do for them, not who he was. Moses wanted to know who God was. I think there's a lot of Christians that only know the works of God, the acts of God. They don't know the character of God. And let me share something with you, church. If you only know the acts of God, you don't know God. God is so much more. He's so big, much bigger than just his acts. And to know how he works is to know his character. God is holy. Did you know that the Bible says that every time the angels worship around the throne for all eternity, from eternity past to eternity future, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You think the angels in heaven are going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You think they're bored? No way. Why? Why? Because he's an eternal God. And every time they look at God, they go, that is holy. God is holy. That characteristic of God right there is holy. And they bow the face. And then they look up again and see a new characteristic of God. And they go, that's holy. And then they bow the face again. And they can do this for all eternity because he's holy. And every characteristic of God and every person of God, he's an eternal God with eternal characteristics. And he's revealed himself and his character through his word. And to know God is to know his word. And to recognize that we don't want to just know your acts, God. We want to know you. When you pray, are you praying for the God to do a work Or are you praying for the work? Are you saying, God, give me this work, give me this work? Or are you praying to the God of the work? God, I want you. Not what you can do. I asked my grandma one time, I said, God, grandma, this is the grandma that said only the first hundred years of life are hard. Um, So grandma, every time you pray, like God totally answers your prayer. He never answers my prayer. Like ah, I pray all the time and he never answers my prayer. How do you pray? Tell me what to do. What's the magic formula? Come on, grandma, I'm ready. And you know what my grandma said? I just remind God what he says in his word. God, your word says this. And so I'm just asking you to do what you say in your word that you're gonna do. Isn't that awesome? Because that's the character of God revealed from the word of God. Moses interceded based upon the knowledge of God's character, he did not wanna go without God's presence. The whole idea of the identity, if I found favor in your sight, we're distinct from many people, there's the identity piece. And so here's the next, here's number four, the plan. The plan is this, God grants Moses his request because he found favor. The plan was this, all right, Moses, I'm going to give you what you want. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that I have spoken, I will do. I'm sorry, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Now this is significant, underline that. Not only the ways part, but underline, I know you by name. Underline that, star it, highlight it, like make it a big deal. Because God's telling Moses, he knows him. And you'd go, big deal, doesn't God know all of us? He knows all of us by name. No, 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 no. You have your Bibles? Turn with me over to Matthew chapter seven. Let's look at this in light of Christ. Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, like. Okay, so God knows Moses. Okay. Matthew chapter seven. First book of the New Testament, 1,955. Totally doesn't help anybody, but... Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here's the significance, church. It's not if you know God. I hear people all the time saying, well, I know God, I know Jesus. But here's the question. Does God know you? Does God know your name? Has he written it down in the Lamb's book of life? Because those are the only people that have eternal life. Does God know your name? Well, I know God. Meet people all the time. Well, I know God. But does God know you by name? And look what it says here. I I I know you. I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. You're mine, Moses. I know you by name. Does God know us by name? And this is how he knows us by name. When we bend the neck, when we bend the heart, when we bend our life and we say, Lord, I am so sorry for my sins. When we repent of our sins, we believe the message of the gospel that Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead and we receive Christ into our life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The only way he knows us by name is through Jesus. Jesus interceded for us, and he he, he interceded for us. He took the wrath of God upon him, and then he went to the cross, and he died for us for all of our sins, past, present, and future, and it's when we say, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry for my sins, and I repent of them right now, and I give you my life, that the God of the universe then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells inside us, and we believe the message of the gospel, and then we receive Christ. Then he knows us by name. You might know God, but he might not know you by name. Talk about convicting. That got me. Moses wants to see glory. And and instead he and, and he sees God's goodness. James 1.17, write that down, and then Psalm 23.6. Psalm 23.6, we all know Psalm 23. If you've ever been to any Christian funerals, they always quote it. But it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a banquet in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Then it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's talking about the goodness. And in James 1.17, it talks about that every good and perfect gift comes down from our father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. God wants to see, Moses wants to see his glory and sees his goodness. Do we see the goodness of God as the glory of God in our life? Do we recognize that every good gift that comes down to us is from God? Does goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life? Moses wanted to see glory and he got to see his goodness. I love that, that he interchanges glory and goodness there. Moses wants to see God then. Then he gets really bold. So like, this is what blows me away because in the the, the few passages before in verse three, he says, yeah, I'm I'm gonna consume the people on the way. So I'm not gonna go with you. And Moses basically says, hey, I wanna see you, God. And God says, hey, no one can see me unless they're gonna be killed. Think of the audacity of this request. But because Moses was intimate with God, he could ask big things from God. this really challenged me. Do I ask big things from my God? Do I have a big God first off that can answer and deliver big things? And then the second thing is, is do I ask big things from this God? Man, that was like, that one like got me. I was like, oh man. But he wants to see his, his back. And so God says, hey, listen, I'm gonna put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm gonna cover my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face you will not see. Moses gets to see his back. I ask myself this question. Am I asking for God's presence for relationship? Or am I asking for God's presence for myself. The presence of God is where we find the relationship with God, and so I've just been wrestling with this and talking about this, and it's only through Jesus Christ, the gospel, that we're that otherwise we're gonna remain stiff-necked that we can have a relationship with God and that the presence of God then can dwell in us. See, so understand this, church. This is what's so beautiful about the gospel. Because of Christ, the presence of God now doesn't dwell in a cloud. It doesn't dwell in a box, and it doesn't dwell in a tabernacle. The the worship team is going to come out now. God's presence now dwells in the Christian. You and me. Let me give you some scripture well, take my word for it. Take God's word for it. This is New Testament, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This is what it says. You can bring it up anytime. Okay, I'm gonna turn. Okay, no, there we go. Okay, First Corinthians chapter 6, I'm gonna turn there. I have the Bible here. Might as well just do it. Oh, there we go. All right, never do. Okay, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The presence of God doesn't dwell in a box, a cloud, a building, a tabernacle, a tent. It dwells in you, Christian. That should wake you up in the morning. That should excite you. Think about the way that the presence of God worked in the Old Testament. Remember when David's moving the Ark of the Covenant and that soldier like pushes the Ark back on and then because he pushed the Ark where the presence of God was, he pushed it on and doing what God said, don't touch it, and the guy fell over and died? What happens when people touch you? Maybe they don't die, but does something happen? Think about the presence of God. What about, like, think about good touch. There's so much bad touch in the world. When you touch someone, remember when they touched the hem of Jesus' garment and the power went out of Jesus? Wait, who touched me? Peter's like, everyone's touching you, Jesus. No, he goes, no power left me. The presence of God is in you, Christian This should change everything. This should change the way that you live. This should change the way that you think. This should change everything. That the presence of God is not something that's out there that we're looking for. It's what makes us the church. Romans chapter eight, verse nine. You, however, are not... In the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Translated from the apostle Paul, let me say it this way. The spirit of Christ is in you, therefore the presence of God is in you. And you take him everywhere you go in everything that you do. And remember in Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Think about it the way in the Old Testament, the presence of God would come upon people and then depart. Remember Psalm 51, David says, don't take your presence from me, God. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God doesn't do that anymore. The presence of God now dwells in us because why? He's not gonna consume us because the wrath of God is poured out on Christ because we've trusted and received the gospel. But the presence of God in living out this Christian life every day comes when God's presence is upon us and we're living through the power of God The Spirit of God, be not drunk with wine, which is in excess, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying, and so it's this idea that the presence of God is in you, and when the presence of God is in you, it should change the way that you live, Christian. That you can take off the ornaments, that everything belongs to God, that everything is God's. At some point, the worship team is going to come join me, so I, I I called them out before, but maybe they won't. I don't know. If you're happy and you're clo it, wrap your hands. Okay, all right. all right. Come on out. Come on out. Only through the gospel of Jesus Christ do we have access to God's presence. And as I was reading this this week, man, it totally got me. I ought to be more bold because the presence of God is with me. I ought to be more loving because the presence of God is with me. I ought to be more humble because the presence of God is with me. I ought to be more gentle. Just go through Galatians 5.22. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I ought to be more self-controlled. I ought to be more faithful is the presence of God is in me. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ, you don't know the presence of God in you and and there's nothing I can do about that. If you're here today and maybe you know the acts of God but you don't know the ways of God and the character of God, my, my prayer for you, Christian, is that you would stop focusing on the acts of God and start focusing on God and who he is not what he does, but who he is. And that you would focus your attention upon Christ. He is our greatest treasure. He is our love. He's the one that takes these really, this really messed up life standing before you, and he makes it something usable. And wherever you are and whatever you've done, it doesn't matter because when you come before Jesus, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Charles Spurgeon said this He said, The the, the older I get, the longer I I follow Christ, the more I realize how much, how wicked and sinful I am. I've never realized how sinful I am. I'm so sinful. And he says, and in the same moment, the more and more I realize how sinful I am, the more and more I realize how loved I am. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ, there'll be some people up here that would love to take a Bible and show you and and, and have you receive Christ if you're here today and you're struggling and you're just like, man, I'm just, everything is a struggle. Everything is hard. There's people that wanna pray with you and they wanna encourage you and they just wanna love you. As we connect with God in corporate worship, recognize that as we sing, as we, as, as we interact with each other, that we are walking and talking little arcs of the covenant, temples, of the Holy Spirit of God. And not for us, but for those that have have yet to hear so that every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne, we're, I'm going to Ukraine in a couple of weeks, they're running out of medical supplies, shocker, and they're sending them all to the front line and, and, and because of your generosity, and this is the presence of God, it, it, it's the, it, because of your generosity, we've prayed and we're gonna bring over a bunch of medical supplies to give to these churches and these Christians. Like that's, that's God working through his people and your faithfulness and we're going to Thailand and we're working with these with these churches that are trying to take these girls and, and these boys before they get sold into sex trafficking, and they're taking them into their houses and we're helping these churches so they can support these kids. It's because of what God is doing and, and that the presence of God is in us church. And what we're doing matters in eternity. because the presence of because we're little temples of God. Don't miss it. Recognize that that God is far more loving and gracious and wants to use you in ways that you've never even thought. And stop disqualifying yourself and just basically, I know I'm not much. You are because the presence of God lives in you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you and to rise from the dead. up to us to live that way, church. Let's pray. Precious Father, I pray for every person here. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that your spirit would go forth and you would draw us to yourself and that we would be more in love with your son, Jesus Christ, that we would live the way that you've called us to live. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.